We're going to be talking this morning, sharing from the book of Ruth, and this is a map of Israel after the conquest, after Joshua and Judges, or after Joshua they conquered the land. The southern part is Simeon and Judah, and we're concerned with Judah, particularly the town of Bethlehem. And to the east, uh, you have the... It says two and a half tribes stayed on the east side of Jordan, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. But also on that side of Jordan were the tribes of Ammon and Moab. We're going to talk a bit, a bit, a bit more about them. But this is where they lived. <clears throat> Gives you an idea of the, the territory we're talking about. Before I start sharing from the Word, I want to share some words that somebody spoke about the Word of God. And I wonder if, how many of you will recognize who said this before I tell you who said it. Someone I think most people here would respect. We believe that the most scientific view, the most up-to-date and rationalistic conception, will find its fullest satisfaction in taking the Bible story literally. We may be sure that all these things happened just as they are set out according to Holy Writ. We may believe that they happened to people not so very different from ourselves, at the impression and that the impressions those people received were faithfully recorded and have been transmitted across the centuries with more accuracy than many of the telegraphed accounts we read of the goings-on of today. Does anyone recognize that? You don't know who said that? Those are the words of Winston Spencer Churchill. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. Well, we're in very good company as believers. Does anyone tell you that, uh, that we're just the weak, feeble-minded? Isaac Newton was a believer. We're in very good company. So, if you have your Bibles, you can open at uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along here. While I was away in Tucson in May, we passed uh, a Jewish holiday. It was the, the holiday of Shavuot, or weeks, otherwise known as Pentecost. Uh, Shavuot, Hebrew for sevens singular as Shavuah and uh, it's a seven weeks it talks about there's a feast of first first fruits right after Passover they were to count seven weeks and on the morrow was Pentecost or Shavuot Pentecost referring to 50 days and in synagogue on that day obviously there's a, a morning service it's very significant because it's the day that the Jewish people believe and I think rightly so that Torah was given the first words of Torah were Moses coming down that mountain with the two tablets of stone. And uh, they remember that time. And actually in synagogue, they'll hide their faces behind their talit and uh, in for fear of, of seeing the shining face of Moses. It was a tremendous morning service. Then in the afternoon, after some lunch, they'll sit quietly in synagogue and each person will open his own Tanakh and quietly read the book of Ruth. And they will say... It's because it's a pastoral story. Remind them of former days when the Jewish people were very different. They were an agrarian people. But actually, I think there's a much more significant reason for reading the book of Ruth. I can't think of another book in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, which so obviously that Torah, God's gift of the law, is actually working for them, blessing them. As they carry out that, the, the, the commandments given in Torah, you actually see how it blesses them and, and works for them as a people. Most of the talk is actually about people not obeying Torah and actually going away from what he's promised them. So, <clears throat> Ruth 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, 
and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. So we have the time period. It's the time of the judges, and we're going to read about a man called Boaz, as some thought that he may have been a descendant of Rahab. Remember Rahab, who let the Israelite, the two spies, down over the wall of Jericho? Some thought that Boaz may have descended from her. Uh, so we're very much in this period of Judges, and when we get to it, we'll actually see a genealogy which takes us past the end of the book of Judges. So we're actually right in that period. We're parallel to the times of the Judges. And let me go through that again, just changing the English just a little. Now it came to pass in the days when Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem Yehuda went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he, his wife, and his two sons. Now Bethlehem literally means house of bread. You will see synagogues around Beit Or, Beit Lechem, Beit Torah, and it just means house. Lechem is bread. So this man was from the house of bread, and it was in the county of Yehuda, meaning praise. Remember, Leah was not loved by her husband. Her husband loved her sister, Rachel, and she just wanted to be loved by her husband, and finally she had a son and she said praise God, praise I'll call him praise because now I've given my husband a son, maybe he'll love me well, he didn't and that was very sad, I always thought badly for Leah that uh, couldn't Jacob just have spared some affection for her, couldn't he have just shown her it wasn't her fault, her father had fooled them into this marriage I mean, she suffered as well and it was so sad that he couldn't have given her just a little affection, some love, but he, his heart was taken up with Rachel Anyway, the son was called Judah, Yehuda, and so we have that part of the land that that tribe inherited. So this man is from the House of Bread in Praise County. Pretty good address. I once lived in on Harmony Lane in Goshen, Kentucky. I thought that was a nice address. Uh, but this is even better, the House of Bread in Praise County. That's pretty good. And the name of the man was Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and the name of the two sons, Marlon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Yehuda, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So this man's name was Elimelech. His parents had had this boy, and they were very hopeful for this boy, and they gave him a wonderful name. And it's very easy to translate, Elimelech. El, the name of God in the singular. You're used to hearing Elohim, maybe. El is a singular form. When you end a Hebrew noun with I, an I sound, it means it's mine. Hebrew ends nouns in possessives. We only change single to plural with our nouns. You go across to the continent, they actually change feminine to masculine as well, but we don't do that so much here. But in Hebrew, you can actually say who possesses the noun, and that if sound, Eli, means it's my God. And then the last word, Melech, means king. And you should be familiar with that Hebrew word. Uh, if I said uh, Melech Shaul, Melech David, Melech Shlomo, I think most of you guess who I was talking about. And if you ever attended synagogue, you hear lots of blessings that start Melech uh, HaOlam. Uh, it means, the best translation I'll give you is King of the Universe. Melech uh, Ha, the definite article, Olam. We translate it as universe, it actually means absolutely everything. Seen, unseen, time. God is actually King of everything. Yeah? So, this man was given his wonderful name, Elimelech. God is my King. And he married a girl. Obviously, she had a little baby, and her parents looked at her and thought, this is a happy baby, and they called her pleasant. 
They looked at her, the sunshine came out of her eyes, she looked gorgeous, and they said, this, is, this girl's pleasant. They called her pleasant, Naomi. They had two sons, they weren't too optimistic about them, because they called them Marlon and Chilion. Marlon uh, meant sickly, and Chilion, Chilion means puny. So they had these two boys, sickly and puny. Wow, I imagine being called that by your parents, and imagine every time... Your kids come round, your friends come round. Can, can uh, Sickly come out today? No, he's sick in bed today. Because that's all he ever heard when he was sickly. And uh, life and death is in the power of the tongue. I know that doctrine is a little overdone at times, and it doesn't mean that it's wrong. You, you keep calling something something, you, 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 you're prophesying over it. So, <clears throat> there was a famine in the land. This is the time of the judges. And there were actually seven stages of judgment. So one of the first one was, if they, were, if they were walking away from God, just moving away, a famine would come. And that should have been their cue to get down to the tabernacle and, and start talking to the priests, offering lambs, sheep, goats, uh, bullocks, and getting right with God and finding out where they were going wrong. Uh, because that famine was a sign that Israel was not where it should have been with God. But this man had a better idea. They'd actually been at war with Moab at an earlier period, and now there was a time of peace. And he thought, well, we're at peace with Moab. I'll go over to Moab. They don't have a famine. I'll live there. So he went there with his lovely wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Sickly and Puny, and settled in Moab. They were Ephrathites. Now, Ephrata was the name that predates the conquest. And it simply means fruitful. So not only was the house of bread in Praise County, but it's a fruitful place. So they lived in a wonderful place, but they'd left it. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Now the name of Ruth, it's a lovely name, just means friend. She was a friend. Orpah was a fawn, a little animal, a fawn. It kind of implies she was an athletic girl. And I happen to think these were women of quality, despite the fact where they settled. Their, their sons had actually found uh, women with some quality about them. Verse 5, And Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So these boys had heard how sick and puny they were all their life, and guess what? Eventually, cold winter came, and they expired. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law that they might return from the, from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So Adonai, the word there is actually the Tetragrammaton, the, the, the uh, name of God, had visited his people and the harvest was coming in again. The barley, the wheat, the, the uh, grapes, the harvest were now fruitful, the sheep were being fed again and, and there was, the, the famine was over. So judgment is over, Hashem is blessing his people. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. So she's, they've been good daughters-in-law. They've been good to their mom-in-law. And they're leaving Moab to return to Judea, Judah. 
and they're at the crossroads of misery because there's nothing worse in the ancient world than three widows. Widowhood throughout most of the ancient world was a tragedy because you'd lost your means of support. There was no man to support you and if your kids had married and gone away, they weren't going to do much for you. You were basically a useless person. Notice, you know, I have to say, one thing I detest in this modern age is feminism, mainly because they really go at the church and take a look outside Christendom, look at the status of women, the women in the Arab world, in India. Uh, China's actually very good, but throughout a lot of the world, the status of women is terribly low. It's actually been, uh, uh, it's been this book that's actually lifted the status of women because in most cultures, women are there to bear male sons. An Arab will tell you that. The purpose of his wife is to give him sons. Quite where his sons are going to get sons if they don't have daughters, I'm not quite sure, but that's their thinking. Very different in the word of God. And even, oh, less than 300 years ago, if a man died in India and his wife was still alive, they, they put his living wife on his funeral pile, so she died, died with him. There's a scene from a movie, and it was actually based on a real event that... Uh, a man had died, quite a notable, and they wanted to throw his... He had quite a beautiful young wife. They wanted to throw her on his funeral pile. And the local British police uh, said, no, you can't do this, we're not allowing it. So they went to the local British commissioner and said, uh, and told him they wanted to, to do sati, to, to, to dispose of the widow with the corpse of the husband. And uh, the commissioner was very clever and said, well, we do understand that it's your custom to burn the widow with, with, with the late husband. But you must understand, it's our custom to hang people who do such things. So, this is a tragic situation. Three husbands dead, three women at the crossroads. And they said unto her, Surely we will return, to thee, return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet more sons in my womb that, you may, that may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. And if I should say I have hope, I should have an husband also tonight. I should also bear sons. Would you tarry for them until they are grown? Would you stay for them? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of God is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law but Ruth clave to her. So Orpah returns to her people and, and probably returned to her god, which was very unfortunate because the god of the Moabites was Molech. And, uh, you know, we sometimes uh, talk about... I remember a few weeks ago, Barry was talking about when the instruments went wrong, music went wrong, uh, they'd pray and be casting out demons and so forth because this was the devil. Well, sometimes, as he pointed out, it's just you're going to go and plug a new lead into the guitar... We can't blame everything on the, devil, on the devil. You can't actually blame everything on him, even if it's the forces of darkness. Because the devil is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's, he's not all-powerful. But he does have an army of demons. And uh, if you're being bothered, frankly, I don't think he has time to deal with you. He's, he's got um, Mr. Putin and uh, Mr. Trump to attack. He doesn't waste his time on you. He sent some junior demon to give you a hard time. I, I, I don't want to disappoint you in that, but... Really, you're not big enough, really, for Satan to spend his personal time on you. Um, but he does have an army of uh, demons. A third of heaven fell with him. So he has quite an army out there. But Molech, I'm convinced, Satan himself was behind Molech, one of the most evil gods in the ancient world. Um, 
the people were expected to, they, some say the firstborn, they were certainly expected to sacrifice their babies to him. And they didn't just cut their throats and let them die nicely. They lit a fire. Moloch had this bowl in front of him. His idol had a bowl. It was an enormous idol. And they put a fire in it and heated it as hot as they could. And they throw their living babies onto it. And Moloch was appeased if those babies screamed loud enough. So this was the most evil, awful thing one can imagine. And of course, we would never think of that today. Maybe we would. Maybe we would. Uh, in the United States, they have full-term abortion. A baby can be being born. It's still legal to kill it. So perhaps we're not as civilized as we think we are today. So Oprah returns to her people. And Naomi says, and she, she, Naomi, uh, and Naomi says, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister. And now we come to the key verses in this book. The book really happens because of these next verses. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do, do so to me, and more also, if, if aught but death part thee from me. Now, despite the fact this family of backsliders have gone to live in this foreign country, Ruth has seen something in this family that she didn't see in the people of Moab. She'd seen how the customs they kept actually were good customs, godly customs, and she wanted to stay with her mother-in-law. She trusts the God of Israel, as did many Gentiles, but you will meet in heaven plenty of Gentiles who lived during the time of the Old Testament. Plenty of people trusted the God of Israel who weren't Israelites. But this girl wants to take it a whole step further. She wants to go and join herself to the people of Israel. She wants to take the Israelite hope. So let's look at this promise. It's actually... You could call it a threefold promise. Actually, it has six parts, but they, they come in pairs. So the first one, whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. So 1A and 1B. Whither thou goest, 1A, 1B, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. What's this about? I'm going to go with you wherever you go, and if you're going to the land of Israel to, to, to praise county, Judah, I'm going with you. And if we live in a shack on the edge of Bethlehem, that's okay. I'll stay with you, Mum, and I will support you. 2a and 2b 2a thy people shall be my people and thy god my god 2b and thy god my god in those days gods were associated with peoples israel was god's people uh, adonai was israel's god other gods had other people had had different gods but she decided she was going to go and live among the israelites and their god was going to be her god i think he already was actually she'd already made that decision and the third promise, 3A and 3B. And where thou diest, I will die, 3B, and there I will be buried. And what in the world is all that about? Well, the Jewish hope is to be buried in the land and rise and live under Messiah. That's why those people are buried outside Jerusalem. Uh, remember Robert Maxwell? Quite a character. But he was Jewish and he insisted his body went back and was buried outside Jerusalem. And there are, there are thousands of graves there of Jewish people who have died over the centuries who wanted to be waiting there when Messiah comes. And Ruth has decided when Naomi dies, she's going to die. And she'll be buried there and she'll be ready when Messiah comes for Israel. Mm. So Ruth is 
going far beyond just believing in the Jewish God. She's joining herself to the Jewish hope. And when Messiah comes, she wants to be resurrected in that land. So when she, Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left for speaking unto her. So the two went until they came to Bethlehem. So they crossed the Jordan, went to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? She'd been gone ten years and she'd aged. And she'd got a daughter-in-law with him. But no more husband, no more sons. They, they were asking questions. Is this Naomi? Is this the woman who went out with Elimelech? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. Oh, negative Naomi. The Almighty didn't deal, deal bitterly with her at all. She made her choices and she reaped what she sowed. God may allow things to happen, but he doesn't harm and when judgment comes, it's not so much that he's doing something, it's that he takes away that hand of protection, and there's already a roaring lion there waiting to do things to you. Remember, poor Job? God didn't take away his sons and take away his wealth. Someone came to God and said, I want to do it because Job only loves you because of what he has. And God allowed Satan to do that to him. Uh, judgment is when God takes his protection away. I love the fact that nowadays so often you read in the news about something happening to Israel and it gets turned back. The Iranian troops were gathering a few weeks back on the northern border with Syria and it's incredible. Uh, it, was, it was like a horizontal um, wind, like a tornado blew up and the sand all came with it and they could not get through that to get to the border. God does these things. His hand, is, hands of, his hand of protection is there. So this is Naomi speaking. I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me? me why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. Well, I think Torah testified against her because God gave him a way to walk in, and if he didn't walk in that way, then he lived with the consequences. You know, we have the Holy Spirit who's the umpire in our hearts. We're wise to listen to him because often he'll give you a little cue, a little key, and if you go that way, you're fine. You may find you're in trouble if you don't, don't follow those cues. Here's someone talking from experience. And she said, Naomi is wrong. Al Shaddai, God Almighty, did not afflict her family. They sowed to the flesh and they reaped poverty. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. That actually tells us when, when it was, because the barley harvest was between Passover and Shavuot, or Pentecost. At the, just after Passover is the Feast of First Fruits, where the priests would go out and cut just a few, just cut a sheave of the first of the barley shoots that were coming up, and he'd go and present them before the Lord, he weighed them before the Lord, as it was a picture of Jesus coming, that when he was resurrected, before anyone was allowed to touch him, he went to his father and waved himself before his father, I've come back from the dead. Then, five weeks later, the harvest will have come in, as a full harvest come in. Because five weeks after, after Passover comes Shavuot, when this harvest of the Gentiles, this millions of people around the world in the last 2,000 years have given their trust to our righteous Messiah, and have come in. Of course, there have been Jews as well, but largely it's been a Gentile harvest. 
Um, and that's the, the, the bringing in of the harvest was just a little picture of what God was going to do later. But also it was, it was for Israel to be thankful that they had this harvest. They, when, they, when the priest took in that little sheave, he was thanking God for a coming harvest. And, and by the time Shavuot comes, barley harvest has been brought in. So we know it's in that period between the two. We know it's in the uh, middle springtime. Chapter 2. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Boaz means inward strength. And the reason he had inward strength was he studied and he observed Torah, and he lived as Torah instructed to him, and it gave him incredible strength, as, as a moral strength as a man. And we find that as we go through, that, uh, that this man uh, prospers because of the life he's living. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now, remember I said in the ancient world, to be a widow or an orphan was a terrible thing because there was no visible means of support. There was an exception to that. You see, Israel hadn't got its laws from men. Israel had received Torah from God. The Torah was very specific about this. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit in your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. In, in modern American terms, we'd say that was a social program, but it was a far better social program than we have in in Britain today, where if someone's unemployed, they get a they, they get a check, or yes, they get. I think they, they put the money in a bank account nowadays. Nowadays, um, Peter would know this. Yeah, yeah. They, they send you money every two weeks because you're unemployed. Uh, the same, uh, the same would apply to a man or a woman. Now, in Israel, a man who who was in need didn't get anything because he was expected to go and do what it take, took to make a living. If his own farm was failing, he sold his services to another farmer or his labor in another way. And if he really couldn't make it, he, he actually attached himself to another man's household as a form of slavery. So he had his meals and his family were cared for. But for a widow or an orphan, they had provision. You see, every year the God, gave, the God of Israel gave them harvests. And there'll be the barley harvest, the wheat farm harvest, the, the grape harvest. There'll be the 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 other um, things growing, the pomegranates and the the citrus fruits and so forth. When they harvest these things, they could go through the field or the orchard or the vineyard once. That was it. They couldn't do it again. Anything left there was for the poor. The widows could then come and take theirs. So they weren't getting a check in the mail for doing nothing they became part of the productive system but it was theirs god had said that it was theirs and that's how they provided for israel was quite different to the heathen nations in that regard it was quite a wonderful thing now today if you see a combine harvester going around a field it's got a row of blades on the front and those paddles that take it in they take everything but you harvest a field with a sickle or a scythe you're leaving at least 25 percent behind you can't actually pick it all up I've heard, I've never seen it, but when you harvest a vineyard, they go through quickly, getting the grapes as quickly as they can to take them to be trodden or sold or whatever. If you could go and look, you'd actually go through a second time and have an enormous harvest because so many get left behind on the vine. So this was a marvellous provision that God had made that, that out of the, 
resources of the land, a farmer could prosper and take what was his, but what he didn't take in that first, the first strike of the sittle and pick up and bind was left for the poor. That was their provision. I can't tell you how wonderful that was. It was, it was unique in the world. God provided for the poor in Israel. So, Ruth 2 verse 3. And she came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and a hat was to light on the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, I want you to know that that morning, Ruth got up and went about her business, and she was in God's will. She went to the field that God wanted her to be in that day. And sometimes I find believers who are very, very disturbed about, oh, I want to know I'm really in God's, got to be in God's will. How do I know I'm in God's will today? Look, it's very easy. Go about your business. Do the work that God's given you to do. And he'll nudge you when he wants to move you. You'll know when he wants to move you along. You don't have to worry about it. Ruth didn't go out there and say, I must be in God's will this morning. Got to go to the right field. She went about her business. She was a poor woman with an even poorer mother-in-law. Probably an aging mother-in-law could longer, no longer go out there and uh, be gleaning in the field. So she was gleaning for two of them. She went to the right field. She went to the field... She went to the field that was going to change history for her. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. So here we have Torah-compliant industrial relations. Uh, According to Torah, if you employed a worker, you made clear what you would expect them to do, and when they'd done it, you paid them. You couldn't wait and pay them, you paid them. And this is why... When he blesses them, they bless him back because they knew he was a trusted employer. This was a, a Torah, a man who observed Torah. When they'd done his work, he gave them the shekels for the work that they'd done. Probably a fraction of a shekel in those days. We've had inflation. But you, you see the point. He was an trusted employer and they were trusted employees. And this was God's industrial relations. It's not so bad now, but when I grew up in the 1960s and 70s, it's a terrible times in the UK with uh, uh, strikes and industrial strife and uh, we, we had terrible management, we had terrible trade unions and nothing got done because they were almost like at war with each other. Well, it wasn't like that in, in uh, Israel when the Israelites were moving according to what God had given them. It's very specific actually, it says, it says that, that, a, that a man should be paid. You, you couldn't hold his money. You couldn't do what companies do today where... They got lots of invoices to small companies or individuals, and they'll hold them for a month, six weeks if they can get away with it, and they're making interest all that time. Of course, the interest on one of those invoices is not much, but when they've got thousands of them, that becomes serious money. And they've made that money while the small company is desperate for its cash flow, or the individual who has done the work for them is waiting to feed his family. You see, but, but under Torah, it wasn't like that. You did the work, you had to be paid straight away. Verse 5, Then Boaz said unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? See, Boaz notices Ruth. He hadn't seen this girl around before. And I, I tend to think she was a young woman, late 20s, 30s. She, uh, she'd been married. We know that uh, Elimech's family spent 10 years, or Naomi spent 10 years in Moab. We don't know what point in that period they were married, but we can assume that uh, she, she was more than a teenager. She, she was probably in her 20s, maybe early 30s, a young woman, and she wasn't dressed like the Israelite girls were, and he hadn't seen her before. 
And I kind of think she was a good-looking woman. I think he noticed her. And the servant that was set of the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from the morning until now. And that she tarried a little in the house. So lunchtime she came and with, with the other gleaners and, and uh, just had a little to drink and eat, as was the custom. And then carried on gleaning for the rest of the day. Then Boaz said unto Ruth, Here is thou not my daughter. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee, and that thou, if, when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn? So Boaz is extending kindness to her. Actually, he was obliged under Torah to some extent to do that, but I think he knew this was Naomi's daughter-in-law so he was actually helping his own family and this girl was gleaning for two and he made sure that she wouldn't be bothered uh, by youngsters playing pranks or doing anything stupid any horseplay uh, she was to be left alone to get, get on with what she was doing and if she was thirsty come and drink from what my workers have drawn for themselves you can share in that so he was he was extending kindness to her then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground I said unto him why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me? Seeing I am a stranger, stranger being a foreigner. Now again, in Israel things were a little different. Uh, foreigners were not particularly liked in other countries, but in Israel, if you allowed a foreigner to come and live amongst you, you had to treat them the same as an Israelite. You couldn't treat a foreigner as a second-class citizen. And we should really take cognizance of that in our, our land. We don't have to let anybody in, but when they may be given a visa, they're allowed to live here, we have to treat them as equal citizens insofar as you can't rob them of their rights or, or, or defraud them in any way just because they're foreign. If they don't speak the language, don't understand the money, it's your duty to treat them fairly. Okay? And that's, that's, that's Torah. <clears throat> and Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come to a people which thou knewest not heretofore. So Ruth is not, as we suspect, an outwardly beautiful woman, but she has a reputation as a godly woman. Herein is true beauty. Find a lady who is godly and the Holy Spirit is in her heart. You've found a really beautiful woman. And this is what is shining out of Ruth. She's been with this family for a while. She's seen them. She's imitated them. She trusts their God. And now she's come to live in the land of Israel, in Praise County. So, verse 12, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So, Boaz actually speaks a blessing over her, a bracha. In, in Hebrew, when you actually bless someone, it, it's called a bracha, and then a father should bless his sons, a mother should bless her daughters, and the, it's the rabbi actually pronounces blessings on his congregation. And of course, all the time, uh, a devout Jew will be blessing God. Uh, the, there's a that thick of blessings for God. <clears throat> so, so Boaz has not only shown kindness to her, but he's pronounced a blessing over, over her. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. That's a blessing. 
Then she said, Let me find favour in thy sight, my lord, for thou hast comforted me, and thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, even though I be not like unto thy handmaidens. This girl was an obvious foreigner, but he was treating her as Torah instructed him to. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and, did, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. So he, he, he went even further and said, you didn't bring your own lunch. You come and lunch with my reapers. It's okay. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. So she's only supposed to go where they'd already harvested. But she made a mistake. He said, leave her alone. It's okay. And let fall also some of the handfuls on, of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. And again, we see Boaz going beyond the righteous demands of Torah and blessing Ruth and Naomi, widows of his kinsmen. And she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah, in those terms, was ten omers, which won't mean anything to you, but in uh, these modern European measurements, it's 23 litres, or in proper measurements, five gallons or three-fifths of a bushel, if that helps any of you. So we're talking about a fairly substantial um, quantity of, of barley that she's harvested. Uh, certainly not only enough to feed her Naomi that day, but some uh, for, for some time forward. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw, mother saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave it to her that she had reserved after she had sufficed. So her mother-in-law sees that she's actually managed to glean rather a lot. She's done very well in the, the fields that day. Where was this girl gleaning? And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee, and he that showed... And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name was with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who hath not left his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. So this man is actually a close relative of Elimelech's. Ruth didn't know that. She just went out to glean in the fields. And Ruth the Moabite said unto him, He said unto me also, thou, thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all the harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in another field. So Naomi is saying, you do as he said and stay there. Don't go somewhere else. Uh, I think Naomi is cottoning on to something here, but we'll, we'll find out. But Naomi recognizes God's hand in this and advises Ruth to stay in the fields of Boaz. Verse 23, So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So we know what time of year it is. The months are passing. We've gone past Shabbat. We're now going towards the fall feasts, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and uh, Sukkot, because the barley harvest is, the, the wheat harvest is right at the end of the year. You probably noticed late August, September, if you go out into the fields around Havant, the, 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 the uh, fields turn this beautiful golden color, and that's the wheat ready to be harvested. When I was a youngster, I used to help on a local farm in Buckinghamshire. And I always thought it was the most beautiful thing. The fields were green most of the year. But as the wheat harvest got ready, it turned this beautiful golden colour. He knew it was nearly time to harvest. 
So the months are passing and we've come to the fall feasts. Ruth has been gleaning through the barley harvest, the grape harvest and the wheat harvest and she's gotten enough to feed her and Naomi through the winter. If she was going at the rate she did that first day, they had a supply for the rest of that year. They were going to be okay over that winter. So so the uh, Torah compliant poverty program was doing what it was supposed to do. And they're particularly helped by Boaz's kindness. You see how these laws that God had given to Israel were a blessing to them. Jesus said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And Torah was not that heavy a burden for Israel. The burden, becomes, the burden comes through religion and, uh, and thinking you must do something to please God. When you see, uh, I heard one time of a, a Jewish conference and it started on Erev Shabbat and there was a, an Orthodox Jew who had taken his bus there and a summer, he got off the bus and the bus was running late and he was carrying his suitcase and if he, was, if he didn't reach the conference center before the sunset he was breaking the law and the man was in, in fear because he'd be breaking God's law that's not what Torah was given for Shabbat was given as a rest not to put someone under condemnation do you understand? yeah and the Holy Spirit ruling in your heart he's not there to condemn you he's there to guide you and keep you chapter 3 Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? See, Naomi's caught you onto something. Ruth has been in the fields of Boaz for several months now, and Boaz has always been kind to her. And, and, and he's a mature man, seemingly a single man, and, and Naomi can see that Ruth is an attractive young woman, and Boaz continually shows kindness. So, so Naomi's cottoning on that uh, maybe uh, there's some affection going on here. That maybe Boaz has some feelings. Could be right. It's the kind of thing you have to ask the ladies because they have an instinct for these things. Guys, someone has to hit us over with a two-by-four before we realize there's something going on in the emotional realm. And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winneth barley tonight in the threshing floor. This, this, is, this is a woman's thing, I tell you. And wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put on thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. Make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. It's called feminine wiles, this. So Ruth is to uh, get washed and put her makeup on, put her Shabbat best on and uh, she's going to go and keep an eye on where she's going to eat with the others and just watch where Boaz sleeps because... He's got this enormous pile of grain and it now is very valuable. To make sure thieves don't take it, he's going to sleep by it that night. So, verse 4, And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay down and he will tell thee what to do. So essentially, and this was perfectly lawful under Torah, Ruth is going to propose to Boaz because he's a, a near kinsman. And there was a rule in Torah. God didn't want widows to go without. He also didn't want a man's line of inheritance to end because he'd given a portion of land to each Israelite. And if a man died without children, there was no one to inherit that. And God wanted that, to, that line to carry on, that, line, that land to be cared for by somebody. So it protected the land, it protected the widows. And if, if um, a man died, one of his brothers was expected to take her as his wife. Imagine that, your brother's dating someone and you're thinking, I've a word with my brother, I'm not sure if he dies, if I, I want to take on the responsibility. I mean, it would be quite something, wouldn't it? it? It was the custom. And so 
Marlon was dead. His father Elimelech was dead, but they were near kinsmen, and they were actually obliged to take her as uh, to be their wife. One of them, at least. And uh, so Naomi can see that Boaz is favorably disposed towards Ruth, and so she decides she's going to have Ruth push this and see if he's prepared to go through this Torah-compliant marriage. And so Ruth responds, and she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Ruth listens to her mother-in-law. They listen to those who are older and wiser. Now, guys, we should be listening to, to uh, Peter and Bob and those who are older in the faith and, and hear what they have to teach us. And uh, ladies, oh, Linda is such a blessing for you, and, and uh, Diane is a blessing to you. They, they, they can, can guide you and, and, uh, and be a source of wisdom for you. But this, this, is, this is real feminine wiles. I mean, you know, today we live in a strange age. They're saying gender is something you choose. I never heard such nonsense in all my life. There is something like 4,500 differences between a man's body and a woman's body, and that's before you get to what goes on between the ears. A completely different thing. I know there are some people who, who are who have these emotional problems, and we should be compassionate and love them and pray for them. That doesn't mean someone gets to say, "Well, I feel like a woman now." So, I mean, if if I walked into a psychiatrist's office, I feel like Queen Victoria. He said, "Well, you're nuts, and you probably need some treatment." But if someone walks into the psychiatrist's and is, is a, a big burly man, he says, "I feel like a woman." Apparently, these days, that's normal. Sorry, it's just to me, it's crazy. But guys are different. You know, my sister-in-law has been staying with my wife for the last month, and they've been sending photographs back to me, and I, I see the sister-in-law wearing my wife's dresses and things, because the girls do this, they swap their clothes. They, you know, sisters are quite different. To bro- I would never swap my clothes with my brother. Last thing I'd think of doing, you know. But So girls are not like, like boys. Men are not like women. I just... But this is this, this thing that, that Naomi's advised her daughter-in-law what to do, and her daughter-in-law says, yes, mum, I'm going to go and go ahead with this. Verse 7, oh, verse 6, And she went down to the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, Boaz is rejoicing in Hashem's provision. He's a successful farmer. His, his last harvest of the year is in, and he's probably anticipating the coming Feast of Sugot. It's a time of great rejoicing. Uh, three times Torah commands you to rejoice with Sukkot, and it's, it's a time of great rejoicing. And that's coming. He's, he's right on the, right on the uh, verge of the fall feast now, so he's got reason to rejoice. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. So Boaz awoke in a place where he was not familiar. Suddenly you've ever woken up in a hotel and thought, where in the world am I? So he's in an unfamiliar place. And something else is strange. There's another person present. He wasn't expecting that. And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore the skirt of thy, spread for thy, spread therefore thine skirt, thy skirt over thine handmaid. For thou art a near kinsman. So I brought a visual aid along with me. I bought my talit. I used to wear a shawl. And this is worn over the shoulders nowadays, and I wish the microphone was a little bit more mobile. It's not. Can you follow me around? And um, it's worn over the shoulders these days. In those days, they would have worn a long garment. You notice at the bottom, there's a fringe. And then there's a border of blue. 
corner, there are tassels. And this was the way God commanded the Israelites to dress, that they should wear a garment with fringes and a border of blue. When that Israelite looked down, he saw that fringe. He was separated from this world. He was under the laws of God. He saw that blue. He knew his laws came from heaven. And Ruth had lifted up that garment and lay down by his, his lower feet. Now, I will just say, because there are no children here, that in Hebrew, feet are a synonym sometimes used to represent genitals. But I believe Ruth was an honorable, moral woman. Same for Boaz. And I think in this instance, feet means feet. And I'm sure it was his lower legs she lay down by. And uh, his God-given clothes, the, the, the clothes that he was commanded by Torah to wear, she'd moved, moved apart. The clothes that reminded him that he was to live according to Torah. And uh, he said... Who art thou? Verse 9. And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore the skirt, spread forth thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In other words, the authority you live under, spread it over me as well, because I am your responsibility. She's saying, will you obey Torah in doing this and taking me as your wife? And Ruth is asking for the covenant of marriage. Marriage is a covenant. We need to take it seriously, by the way. And uh, I'm preaching at number one here, believe me. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than in the beginning, inasmuch thou followest not young men, young men, whether rich or poor. Now it transpires, I'm reading between the lines here, that Boaz hadn't proposed to her because he thought he was too old. He didn't, he didn't think she would find him attractive because he was an older man. Very foolish. This is about the only thing he said in this book that, uh, that is not the, not, the, not the wisest. Because anyone could see he was a good catch. Now, daughter, fear not, verse 11, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. See, she has this lovely reputation. And this is not the hardest thing that anyone's ever asked of Boaz, believe me. Uh, like my doctor a few weeks back, we were talking about some stomach things. He said, you should drink peppermint tea and, and chamomile tea. And I thought, you know, I was expecting to get injections or some, some nasty medicine or something. Peppermint tea, I like peppermint tea, chamomile tea. So, you know, this, this beautiful, young, godly woman with a wonderful reputation is asking him to marry her. This is really not the hardest thing anyone's ever asked of him. It is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Verse 13. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until morning. He's not going to send her home in the dark of the night and risk of uh, uh, being harmed. He's going to leave her by the by the, the pile of grain where he can keep an eye on her. <clears throat> and she lay at his feet until morning, and she rose up before one could tell, one, before one could tell another. And he said, let, let not it be known that a woman came unto the floor. So Boaz is protecting Ruth's reputation. Okay, sometimes it's not enough to be moral. You've got to be seen to be moral. Okay? Um, he wanted no appearance of anything immoral. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation and it can be destroyed in a moment. Now, I have a rule with my apartment. The only 
ladies who come in unaccompanied are my mother, my wife, uh, my cleaner comes in when I'm not there with her daughter quite often. Anyone else wants to visit me, that's fine. Come with your husband, come with your sister, come with you, that's fine. But I don't like a lady to come along because it's a very uncomfortable situation to me. And I attended to Kabatsu in Beverly Hills once. I, I'd been on well I, and uh, I was off work for a week. And uh, someone from Shul had very kindly, from synagogue, had very kindly picked up some shopping. It was great because I'd been thinking, I'm really going to be imaginative making meals out of what's left in my cupboards. And there was a knock on the door and this lady arrives with a bag of, there was a nice cooked chicken and there was bits and pieces, everything I needed for like a couple of days to keep me going. And she was very nice and gave me to and said, oh, at the synagogue we thought you'd need this. Uh, I won't come in. I've got to get back home now, which was perfect. She blessed me. I suspect Rabbi was behind it, but she didn't compromise the situation, didn't cross my threshold, she just handled, which, which I just loved. I thought that was absolutely perfect. So Boaz is uh, protecting Ruth's reputation. And then he said also, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her as you went to the city. Now, uh, Shavuot and Shavuot, seven and sevens. You've heard the term, probably, and you usually apply it to the calendar. A week, seven days. A Shavuot of days is a week. Uh, Shavuot, seven weeks up to Pentecost. What you may not know is it's actually in those days was a common Hebrew measurement, a, a quanti common quantity. You go down to Aldi or Waitrose or wherever you, you shop, and you buy half a dozen eggs. There's a little carton with six eggs in it, right? But in those days, they'd have gone out and bought a Shavuot of something. It was always a quantity of seven. That was the standard measure that you bought things. You'd actually go and buy seven eggs or seven of this, seven of that. And so he measures out six measures. He didn't measure out the full thing. And Ruth took this back to Naomi. And Pastor explained this. And when Naomi measured this, she'd say, there's one missing. He hasn't finished this yet. And so... <clears throat> And she said, six measures of barley, this is... And then he came, verse 16, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done. So so Ruth gets home, and Naomi says, Are you Mrs. Boaz yet? And Ruth explains what's happened. He's, he's another kinsman who's nearer, but he gave me these six measures of barley. And Naomi knew, he's going to deal with this today. By that night, Ruth's going to be married. She doesn't know who he's going to be married, married to, uh, whether she's going to be Mrs. Boaz or Mrs. Such and One, but she's going to be, she's going to be married. And uh, verse 17, he said, These six measures of barley, barley gave him me, and he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. And she said, Sit still, my daughter, until I know how the matter will fall, for the man will not rest until he has finished the thing this day. Boaz is not finding it a hard thing to marry Ruth. He's more than happy about it. Uh, Naomi's suspicions have been correct all along. <clears throat> then Boaz went up to the gate, chapter 4, and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto him, and unto whom he said, Ho, such an one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, <clears throat> remember, we've talked about this before. The city gate was the courthouse, okay? Such an one, the Holy Spirit's very gracious. We will never know who that unwilling kinsman was. Uh, the Holy Spirit's hidden his name from us. All we know is was he was such an one. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down, and they sat down. And Boaz wants no doubt about the legitimacy of this transaction, which is about to happen. And he has ten witnesses there. He's not playing games here. 
And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that come again out of the country of, Elimel- uh, country of Moab selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech. So it's Elimelech's and Boaz and uh, Marlon and Kilian's, but they're all dead. So this land is, is, is going nowhere right now. So Boaz starts with the easy part and offers him Marlon's land. He said, I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And the such a one says, Oh, I'd like another field to, to, to farm. I can have a bigger harvest every year. Yeah, I'll go for that. So then Boaz comes in with the punchline. Then said Boaz, The day that thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. You buy it, you marry Ruth, and you've got to raise up a child to inherit that land. Well, suddenly, such a one is not so keen. Uh, and the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right for thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So, such a one is not so keen. He has his own family and farm to consider. Now, this was the manner in former times in Israel concerning redeeming, concerning changing, for to affirm, confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbour, and this was the testimony in Israel. So to show the contract was done, you took your shoe off and handed it to the other party. We don't do that today. We sign documents, but different times. Therefore the kinsmen said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe, and Boaz said unto the elders and unto the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I bought all that was Eliminex and all that was Chilians and Marlons of the hand of Naomi. That moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Marlon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. So the contract's now legal. The land has now been passed to Boaz and he's engaged to Ruth. He's got a fiancé. The elders are now pronouncing a, now pronounce a blessing on Boaz and Ruth and the roots of the tribes of Israel come from Rachel and Ruth. So the blessing is... Still said, this blessing is still said in Jewish marriages today. If you ever attend a Jewish wedding, you'll hear a blessing like this, though you may hear it in Hebrew. For all the people were in the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. This is the blessing. The Lord make this woman that has come into thine house, like Rachel and like Leah, which did build the house of Israel. And do thy worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar brought unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee, this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, as blessed be Adonai, or the Tetragrammaton, which hath not left thee this, left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name be, may be famous in Israel. For he shall be unto thee a restorer of life, and a nourisher in thine old age. Oh, thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse to it. So unbelieving, negative Naomi now has a family again, including a grandson. And God has been very gracious to her. And the women, her neighbours, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it gives a genealogy, because I only have five minutes. We'll, we'll skip it and just come to the last line, verse 23. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. So from great David came his greatest son, 
our kinsman redeemer, the one who clothed himself in flesh and blood uh, and came to this earth and shed his blood. See, God is a spirit. Two can't walk together unless agreed. A spirit has no blood, can't save us, but he sent his son who came in our likeness, a perfect man who died in our place, our kinsman redeemer. He became our kinsman, a human being, that we should be purchased for God. Back in Genesis 49, the scepter shall not part out of Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Ruth, because of her trust in the God of Israel and her desire to serve, came into the very heart of God's plan. This outsider, a Moabite, came right into the heart of things because of her trusting, her faith. Okay? Anyone, the worst sinner in Portsmouth, can come into all that God has for them by faith. So, I'm going to close now with a blessing that, that uh, God had Aaron speak of the children of Israel. And then from then onwards, the high priest would pronounce this blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And I am told we are having teas and coffees today. God bless you all. <laughs>